Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Well, welcome to Resiliency Within. And as we start today, we want to recognize two important times uh, in this year. And that is today is National Indigenous Peoples Day. And it also happens to take place during Hispanic Heritage Month. And today I welcome Martha Para. And Martha is a social worker and she is a representative from both communities, as am I. And we will have a dialogue about our heritage and our advocacy and service um, as Latinas with indigenous roots. But I want to say a little bit about um, what is, for example, Hispanic um, uh, Heritage Month. And this is a time um, that's set aside as a whole month. It actually straddles September and October to properly recognize the significant contributions that Hispanic Latino Americans have made in the United States. Um, our Indigenous Peoples Day, we honor the perseverance and courage of Indigenous peoples. We show our gratitude for the myriad contributions they have made and are still making in our world today. And we also um, renew, um, I think we renew our respect for tribal sovereignty and self-determination. And I think the other thing that this was part of the the presidential speech is that the story of American indigenous peoples, a story of their resilience and survival for their persistent commitment to the right to self-governance and for the determination to preserve cultures, identities, language, and ways of life. And so I am so proud that we are um, and at Resiliency Within today, recognizing our indigenous people. But let me tell you a little bit about Martha. Um, and Martha is a bicultural, bilingual, licensed clinical social worker. She's been working at the Department of Behavioral Health, County of San Bernardino for the last 19 years, and is currently a mental health program manager too with Adult Forensic Services. Um, um, Martha received her master's degree in social work at the University of Southern California, where she specialized in the community organization planning administration. Um, she has served as an adjunct professor with Loma Linda University. In fact, she's doing it right now. She's in her second week of a new semester um, at the School of Behavioral Health, Department of Social Work and Social Ecology for the past, I can't believe it's been nine years already, Martha, that you've yes. been doing that. Um, and also, she has extensive experience working in crisis intervention with, with children and youth. And she's also worked in the juvenile justice system. And maybe she'll share a little bit of, with that today, with us today. But also, I've been really impressed that you have become a certified immigration evaluations evaluator. And I hope we can talk a little bit about that today because there's so much kind of divisiveness talking about immigration. And I want to kind of give another perspective of it. I think, and I think both you and I can do that in our shared history. But welcome, Martha. And as we get started today, what would you like to what would you like to say to our audience as we're getting started? Well, welcome. First of all, thank you, Elaine, for um, uh, allowing me to participate and and uh, in your program. Uh, yes, we've gone through many journeys together, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. So it's really exciting uh, to know that you know a fellow social worker is doing so much for the community and Latina uh, yeah. as well. 
So um, again, welcome to everyone. And I, I hope that uh, during the time that you and I are together, people can get a better sense of why we do what we do, and um, which is probably many, many shows uh, other than this, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that everybody's here to join us. Well, and I'm glad that we can share really the, the beautiful values that we learned from our families, um, your family coming to this country from Mexico, mine from El Salvador, and all the the um, wonderful um, ways and vistas that they've given us about how to be with people in the world, to be inclusive and loving and kind. And I think sometimes we don't hear enough about that, right? We hear about, oh my goodness, people are coming. They shouldn't be here. And yet we do believe that there needs to be, of course, structures and laws, but there are sometimes there's all sorts of reasons why we come to a new country. So maybe we can start with that. So do you wanna say a little bit about your journey because um, it's really quite an illustrious journey. And I'm going to just say before you start that I know that you learned English as a second language, that you went to UCLA, USC, and you're now an adjunct professor at Loma Linda University. That is a pretty amazing uh, trajectory. And I also want to say that you're on faculty at the Trauma Resource Institute as not only a CRIM um, teach, a CRIM faculty member, but also a trauma resiliency model faculty member. So, you know, to say that I'm proud of you would be an understatement. But so tell us your part of that journey. And and I know it wasn't always easy. Yes. Uh, thank you, Elaine. You know, I was, as I was thinking about, you know, this show and preparing, um, you're right. I, I have so much gratitude for my family, first of all, because they took so many, I'll say many risks and challenges to uh, bring, um, I'll say my parents bring their children to the United States for a better life. So that's really where it started. It's it's wanting something different. And I think everybody has that uh, desire for their children, right? That they want to, everybody, every generation hopes that, you know, the, the generation um, coming ahead is going to supersede a lot of the things that they're doing. So when I had um, I was just talking to my parents earlier today and letting them know, hey, you know, I'm gonna go. I have some homework for you. You know, I know the story, but just could give you more chronological dates. So, um, back in 1978, when I had just turned five years old, um, my parents decided that they were gonna come over. That my my mom and the three children, and uh, my dad had already been over here in the U.S. Uh, he was the last wave of the Bracero program which is uh, very exciting for me to know that he was here. He told me about all the different places he's gone to, you know, work the land, you know, from California, uh, Mississippi, so many different places where he so what, was contracted. What, what was the Bracero program? Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, the Bracero program was a program where the, the U.S. had with Mexico where they would bring uh, mainly men over to the U.S. to work for seasonal jobs. Uh, actually, my... Uh, maternal uh, grandfather came over here to California and he helped build uh, the roads in Kalinga. Uh, if you ever gone through the Kalinga Pass, you know, the back windy roads, he was part of that. Yeah. 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 So he, um, but my, my mom uh, had mentioned that my grandfather didn't like it here. So he decided to go back to Mexico and, you know, he, he just, he had enough of whatever his experience was. Um, my dad, however, uh, he, like the opportunities that he had and with his uh, with my mom they decided that they were gonna um, bring us over to the u.s now this is where some of the controversy comes in elaine because we came over illegally you know we were not documented mm -hmm. uh, there was no program at that time that my dad could apply for to bring us over uh, to the u.s 
And so um, my I was talking to my mom. So I was about five. My sister was six. My brother was seven. And my grandfather took her to Guadalajara. And she uh, took into a journey, about a two-day journey to Tijuana uh, by herself. Had never been out of her little town, her little ranchito in, um, in uh, uh, Mexico. And, and I was like, wow, I was just, I, I think that's part of where, um, and we'll talk about you know, who have been my influences. My mom has been a big influence because she did that on her own with three children. And I mean, traveling. that takes so much courage. I mean, I, I have to think about the dedication that someone has to say, we need to have a better life for our children. And we're going to take these risks that that comes with courage. And I think we need to know that, that you're, you're not leaving someplace because everything was great and wonderful um, right. either. And so, but anyway, so your mom was in Tijuana with three children. And then what happened next? And then um, she said that it, it, we were actually in Tijuana for a day at the um, hotel. I remember that we broke a window, you know, uh, little things, but there was a helicopter landing and apparently we were leaning against the window and it broke, which I just told my mom, I said, you know, we're lucky your three kids didn't fall out. <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> right. But anyways, but we were um, separated from my mom. And as I think about it now as an adult, I can't imagine either how that would be that Again, so many people take a lot of risk and some people, well, you know, you should have just done it the right way and you guys wouldn't have been separated. And, you know, I don't know why they took the decisions that they did, but we were separated. Um, we were crossed, um, you know, as somebody's children, I suppose. And, and my Not mom. Not your mother. So you went with someone different than your mom. Yes. With strangers, you know, who my mom had to, uh, my dad uh, had to trust that they would do what they were set out to do. And then um, my mom crossed on her own. And then we were reunited in uh, San Diego and traveled to uh, Central California, Greenfield, California, where we ended up, uh, my hometown, where we grew up and, and went to school. there. And so um, you didn't speak any English when you came. And no. here you've gone to some of the very esteemed universities of California. Um, and now you're a college professor. So what was your journey like, you know, um, learning English and, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, so I started kindergarten, uh, that same year. So a few months later, come from Mexico, don't know anything. And I started, uh, just with remedial English, I believe, you know, table, pencil, pen, uh, that kind of thing. And for the first three years of my education, I was reading in uh, Spanish, didn't speak much English. And it wasn't until I think about third or fourth grade that I started reading in English, uh, I could understand a lot more. But as far as, um, you know, reading, I was a, a ESL classes, English at a second language. And um, I, I remember another story that my dad's, my mom said is that my dad was kind of getting frustrated because us kids weren't learning English fast enough. So he wanted to pull us and have us work the field. And uh, we had many advocates on our side, I believe, that were saying, hey, just give them some time to learn. So I'm glad for those advocates that we called Theos and Theos, even they're not related to us, but they were, they're encouraging. Well, so, and Tio means uncle and Tia means aunt. So these yes. were like those close uh, family members that are not necessarily family members by blood, but by, by choice. <laughs> yes, yes, because... Um, really, my dad was the first one and my mom. Well, we she had a, a brother in Chicago, but we didn't have any relatives out here. We were the first ones to venture out. 
so these aunts and uncles said, oh, no, we're not going to bring these two, these little children into the fields to help. We're going to help keep them in school. Yes. And so obviously they won. They won. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, and then, then um, he started seeing the progress. And then uh, since school was really easy for me, Elaine, uh, whether it was in English or Spanish. And I think that uh, I always heard my parents say, you know, when you, uh, when you go to the university, so it wasn't even when you graduate from high school, is when you go to the university, then you can do whatever you want. Until then, you know, we had very strict, uh, at least my sister and I, very strict rules about what we're going to do. Well, and I think it's important for people to know that, that when, you know, our my family as well, when my mom and grandmother came to this country, I was, I never knew that um, there wasn't an, another option besides going to university, but neither my mother nor my grandmother ever went to university. I mean, did your parents go to university? No, they didn't even finish uh, elementary school right. back in Mexico, maybe a third grade education. And so I can say that both my grandmother and mother did finish high school, but they still, that value of education was very important. So I think that's really important to know too, that I don't, sometimes I get the feeling when um, they talk about immigration, that that people that immigrate here are going to be a, a burden on the system when actually many of us have, you know, have worked very hard. And my family certainly worked hard. My mom worked in the shipyards and then she had jobs serving. And I remember, you know, my, my mom, my dad driving my grandmother and mother uh, down to the factories in Santa Clara County where they canned tomatoes. And I mean, those are the jobs that they could get. They couldn't speak English really well, but they could certainly work hard and they did. Um, so I think that's an important thing to, to let people know about. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, also my parents were hardworking. My dad worked at a, ended up working at a garlic and onion processing mill, um, basic. And it used to be on everybody's, uh, you know, grocery uh, shelves when you were trying to get some spices. He would always smell of garlic and onion and it frustrated us <laughs> when he came over to hug us. We're like, no, dad, get away. Yeah, garlic is because when you go through Watsonville, you can smell garlic in the air. <laughs> yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Well, but so, now it's like, a, I'm sorry, now it's like a nostalgic, like when I, yes. I smell that, I was like, oh, my dad. <laughs> there you go. And so, so then you did really well in school. And so then um, how did you get to UCLA? Where you um, you applied to UCLA? I imagine you had counselors. I mean, when we, I think, when many people come from other countries too, they have mentors that help them along the way, negotiate mm -hmm. things that our parents may have no experience with. So, are there some mentors that may have helped you through your educational system? So, yes, I, I had a lot of uh, school teachers that believed in me, and um, you know, I'm sure they could see my my background of you know where, where I was coming from, and um, but I, yeah, I, I did have a lot of uh, from. I would say from elementary all the way to high school. Uh, I was in AP classes at some point. And so I was able to, um, you know, surpass a, a lot of my classmates, which was, you know, it wasn't any way of, of boasting, but it's just, uh, it, like I said, it really came easy to me. So when it came to time to apply for school, my sister had, was already at um, Fresno State. And I always knew I wanted to go to UCLA. And mom, my mom wanted us me to go to Fresno State. I said, Mom, I don't know. You know, it's hot over there. <laughs> you know, it's LA. It's hot in LA too. Um, but, uh, you know, something interesting happened was that I really, some of the um, high school counselors, what the one that we had, she wasn't very motivating and she, you know, she was kind of uh, 
not very supportive of my dream. Back then, I wanted to be an actress, believe it or not. I wanted to act, and I was in school plays, and I was, uh, Elaine knows that I'm an extrovert, so that was just something that I was a total ham <laughs> growing up. Uh, but anyways, she, she wasn't very um, supportive of my dream. She told me that I should run a, a theater. And I was like, that's not what I asked you to do. But at any rate, I, I applied to schools and my dad actually got injured on the job. And um, I had to make some choices. I, I realized that my parents wouldn't be able to afford to have my sister and I at the school at the same time. Uh, so I actually went to the community college and I saved up. Um, you know, I got some scholarships and transferred from the community college, uh, Hartnell College in Salinas, California, and went to UCLA uh, without knowing anything or anyone as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Were you were you nervous or were you like just excited that you were going to go to the dream school that you wanted to go to? I was excited. Um, my mom wanted me to go to Berkeley because I had a cousin at Berkeley and I, I convinced her that Berkeley was too radical. You know, <laughs> she didn't want me to go to Berkeley to <laughs> a radical school. I think that you were manipulating your mom, Martha. Well, <laughs> you can find radicals at UCLA too. <laughs> but Berkeley I was involved in quite a few protests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was involved in quite a few protests over in, at UCLA. Um, but uh, they, 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 my mom knew, I think, from uh, both my parents that I, I very strong will and I was going to go where I, I, I wanted to go. So they were supportive. They, they really were. And I was excited and scared at the same time because I had never been out from a small community, agricultural community like Greenfield. It's really small. Uh, the nearest city is uh, Salinas, which is about 45 minute drive. And so, you know, it's, Ooh. I think the population was under um, 10,000. I, I don't remember how many people were there. It was a small town. Well, and I imagine there were a lot of people that were also immigrants to the United States in your small town. Yes. And then going to the big metropolitan area of Los Angeles, which of course is has many um, um, Hispanic Latinos from many parts of the world, but still, you're going to UCLA. That probably I imagine that the percentages of the Latino students was not as great. No, no, it wasn't. And um, uh, during that time, you know, when I was a uh, in this community where I grew up with, there was a lot of uh, racism. Um, they're, you know, looked down upon because of your language. Uh, even it was interesting, even, you know, like second, third generation uh, Latinos, Chicanos uh, would say, oh, look at that person. You know, that's a wetback. And I would say, hey, you're calling me a wetback. I just I'm not legal or I just, you know, I came from Mexico. And then I go, oh, but you're different. And so I started like pondering that when I was at UCLA. It's like, I can't be different. I'm the same person. You know, I right. eat the same food and talk the same language. I just happened to have been here longer than they did. Yeah, and I think that's something that maybe people don't really realize that some racism can come from many places. It can come from people whose color of skin is different from yours or can come from people that may have the same heritage but came here at a different time. But it's interesting how we are so divisive as human beings at times, always want to separate each other. But so what helped you get through those moments when, um, I mean, you have a, a lot of internal strength, Martha, I've seen it many times, but I mean, what was it? Your The values of your parents? I mean, your dad and mom had to have also a lot of strength to do Yes, it, it was a lot of their encouragement. Um, my my dad was, um, you know, volunteered in the migrant program since we first arrived 
in the U.S. We were in school for eight years. And so I always saw him as an, an advocate, someone, you know, it's like if he can, if he's doing all of this and he worked a graveyard ship. So I figured, you know, if he can do this and, and they can sacrifice not seeing their family because um, we knew of a lot of families that might have been um, undocumented, but they went back and forth to Mexico. And my parents said, you know, that's too much of a risk for us. We're just going to stay here. Although we didn't have our, you know, our aunts and our uncles and our cousins that we can visit like uh, other people did. Like you said, I had extended family here that we kind of made our own. So that was one just to see that they had that strength and um, humor was always a big thing. You know, my dad's a storyteller. So we were, he was always having people, you know, over and they were joking. So that was another thing that kind of, you know, got me by. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that you you say that your um, your parents were undocumented as you were when you first came, but then there was a program that was provided by the Reagan administration that's quite a few years back. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened with that amnesty program and how how did your life change as a result of that? So, yeah, so the amnesty program and, you know, thank God for Reagan, right, Uh, regardless of our political views, but that was the, the last amnesty program. That was really in the U.S. to help a lot of uh, people. And my dad, he's a go-getter. So he took advantage of the program, as did um, probably a lot of my family, friends that were also here undocumented. And um, we went through the process uh, in, in the 80s and um, we were uh, we got our legal residency. So uh, I remember when we went to get sworn in, my brother, uh, my younger brother was born here in the U.S., and I joke with him now. I say, hey, you were our anchor baby. And he's like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and so we laugh. But uh, when we were getting sworn in, he was, you know, there to like with his right hand raised and he was saying the oath as well. So we all got uh, sworn in as a family, which was pretty cool, pretty exciting. And, and can you remember that moment, too? Was it I mean, I can imagine your parents must have been very elated. They were. They were so excited. And, and I think prior to that, uh, Elaine, there was a little bit of fear in me when I started hearing people say, you know, La Migra, you know, um, you know they're, they're going to come and get you. And I think kids were, trying, were being mean and they didn't really know how close that was ringing to me because it could have, you know, yeah, at any point, if there was any sweep or anything, um, my, my parents could be sent back. All of us could be sent back uh, to Mexico. And what happens what would happen to my younger brother? Well, and I guess that's the thing that I think with right right now, we have many people from many countries coming from the border, not only from um, Central America, but from, you know, Asia, from um, different African countries, Haiti. Um, and I think there's sometimes um, such a stigma of how people may look at how we talk about immigration in the press even. And so what would you want people to know about your family and your journey that might give a different vista? Well, I think is that um, we came here for a dream and an opportunity. Uh, my parents did initially, right? We were just tag-alongs <laughs> that came al- along. Um, but we helped realize that dream, fulfill that dream of, uh, with this, oh. their children. Um, both of my brothers are correctional officers. One uh, was a sergeant. He just recently retired. My sister is a nurse and she works at, you know, at a hospital, Natividad Hospital in Salinas, Um, you know, and I'm a a social worker. So I think that we we came here to be productive citizens uh, of of, of a country. And in the long run, you know, had we been able to be coming here documenting, we probably would. Um, 
we're all citizens now, the U.S. as well. So I think that a lot of people really at times, everybody has their story of how they come here and why they come here. But I think that, like you said, nobody leaves their their place of origin because things are going great. You know, if they have a plethora of everything, they probably wouldn't need to come to the U.S. They can just be self-sufficient where they are. Well, and I think I just want to underscore the things that you just said about your family. Your family has been such contributors to American society. We talk about, you know, um, this is also heritage, um, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, about the contributions. And your father had a dream. Your mother had a dream. And, and you know, I know there's many people that say, well, you should have gone through the process. Well, it may never have happened that they did something and then they went through and followed processes that were offered to them, but that all of their children are contributing members and have been of, of their communities. And, you know, you we talked about before the show started about people say, oh, you got this because, but you really earned this. All of you earned this. Would you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that... Um... We could have we could have fallen into many things where it's like you know whatever we all we all we really had to do is maybe go to high school and graduate and 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 be that and that would have been sufficient I think um, but I think that the there's always a dream uh, there's always something that you want to aspire for and not school's not for everyone my my brothers didn't go to college but they still were very productive citizens and I think that I think that's what we forget we forget that part of humanity that. I think ultimately people want to better themselves and, and do well. Um, there are some people that probably have different intentions, but um, I, I think that, again, we looked at all the sacrifices my parents made and, and that was worth moving forward. Well, and just hearing the sacrifices they made, but the contributions they made to, to the United States when they came here and the different roles they had that were very important. And then also the different programs that were also, you know, invitation for your dad to come here with the Bracero program, right? That people don't understand that those were invitations, that those were not um, about him coming here illegally. That was the invitation because if he wasn't doing those that kind of work or if others weren't doing that kind of work, who would do that work? Of course, yeah, getting up, I, we had many people that we hosted in our family that would get up at three o'clock in the morning to get ready to go to the fields. Just that, I mean, I get up at four every once in a while and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you know how, how, did that, how did that happen? Um, and so, you know, I want to just let, let our listeners know, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about what prompted, you know, Martha to become a social worker and the work that she does now, um, not only as a professor, but she also... Um, Although she's not representing the county of San Bernardino today, she's going to talk a little bit of, about the work that she does and the importance of the work of social workers, and maybe a little bit about why there was that, I guess, that chispa de la vida, that spark of life for you to decide, yes, this is something that is really important for me to do and contribute to. So we'll be back in just a few moments, um, and we are going to hear from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute. And um, then Martha, Para, and I will continue our conversation about um, His Hispanic Heritage Month and Indigenous Peoples Day. We're going to talk a little bit about our, our Indigenous roots as well that I think can kind of be fun um, yes. for people to know about. Okay, we'll be back in just in just a couple minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and in communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair 
to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to traumaresourceinstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with um, Martha Parr, an amazing social worker um, who I've known for many years. And we're talking about um, Hispanic Heritage Month month, and also Indigenous Peoples Day. And we are going to talk now we're going to kind of segue in talking about language. And we were I was asking Martha at the break, you know, well, were there times that you can remember during high school that um, were there children coming from other countries that um, were monolingual Spanish speaking and and Martha, why don't you share with us what the teachers would ask you to do? Yes. Yeah, so, um, and I, I was mentioning that I, a memory capsule, apart <laughs> from our, our our training from CRM and TRM, just kind of burst open. And um, when I was in civics class or some of my other classes, they would have um, these students who, you know, that was a class requirement, sit close to me so I can translate. And I was like, well, did I ever tell you I knew how to speak Spanish or was that that I talked to some of my friends? Probably I was talking to some of my friends in Spanish. So they knew that, um, you know, I was a bit talkative at times, Elaine, believe it or not. You're still talkative, Martha. Yeah. So anyway, so um, I would help out in that way. And then I think throughout uh, uh, my lifetime, I've helped out. I think I was letting you know that also with my parents, I was often voluntold to help out my mom or my dad and and because uh, you know they would sometimes when we didn't want to because you know now we're becoming like teenagers or preteens my parents would grumble and say you know if you don't help us who will and i was like guilt man so yes uh, growing up uh we we're talking about values growing up catholic you know guilt was always a good way to to get to me 
<laughs> and your parents use that. But I think, you know, I get it in a serious note. I think it is something, having worked in hospital settings for many years, that sometimes children were asked to be the translators for their parents when they were asked kind of delicate information that really is really beyond the child's um, abilities. I think that at least in California, we, we had rules saying that you couldn't do that anymore and you needed to have um, an interpreter come in to translate for the parent. But you know, sometimes we didn't consider that the parent may not completely trust the, the interpreter either and trust their family members more. But I think that if any of you are in situations and are using children as translators to think if there's another way to get them to, um, to help. But I, you know, I was, I was recalling with my mom, my mom, um, you know, she, we, we didn't grow up speaking Spanish. And my dad was American and really wanted my mom to really hone in on her English, which I really regret that we didn't have um, Spanish as our first language. But I, I was in many situations, my mother had a very heavy accent when we'd be in a grocery store and they would look at me and ask me to interpret her. And it was so disrespectful to her. Um, yeah. And she would get really upset and um, and and say, you know, and she even when she got upset, it was even harder to understand her because she talks faster and that would make the clerk or whoever was, you know, talking about it. But I remember and I guess this is what I'm saying about as being a child, being very uncomfortable as a child for an adult to ask a child to interpret for an adult. Mm -hmm. And I think that if all possible to not do that. Um, sometimes there may be like emergent situations that that may happen, but I think there's many uh, situations that happens almost as a microaggression um, yeah. about turning to the children. I don't know if you have any comment you want to make about that. Yeah, I, I think that, um, again, yeah, as an adult now, I know, you know, and I try to encourage uh, anyone that I work with to say, hey, don't use a child because they're, like I was mentioning earlier, you know, your vocabulary is limited as it is, both in both languages, English or Spanish. And sometimes when there's, uh, the concepts might not be the same. And I remember struggling trying to figure out, okay, what is, how do I tell him what my dad wants if I don't really know the word that, you know, that he used or um, the word that I'm supposed to use to give to him. So a, a lot of times he made himself be understood and um, the same with with my mom. Um, I now, you know, as a, a adult children, my my uh, brothers or my sister will go with my mom and my dad to uh, visits with the doctors or the hospital and and their their advocates, which is you know awesome. But uh, yeah, as a child, it was it was hard because even at my um, parent uh, teacher conferences or teacher parent conferences, uh, the teachers didn't have anybody there. So I would be the person like, I'd be the, oh yeah, your, your daughter's doing so great. <laughs> Me, you know, and this other, and it felt kind of like weird because culturally you don't do that. You don't, right. you know, you, you don't speak about yourself in high esteem. Others can do it, but you yes. don't. So that was really odd for me to do too. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's a certain respect about that as well, because if you're respecting the, the parents, right, that there's, you know, you might talk about your children in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, sometimes I would, you know, because like I said, I was great at school. And so my dad would say, well, ask her um, if you can do better. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Did I just ask? And I was like, uh, uh, an A is the highest dad. He's like, well, is there an A plus? Oh, shoot. Yeah, there is. <laughs> It sounds like your dad had high expectations for you. Yes, he did. He had yeah. high expectations. Well, so let's talk, let's like do a little segue and you became a social worker. Yes. So what was the, what was it about your life that you decided this is what I would like to direct my life in? So after I graduated from uh, UCLA, my goal had been, now and we'll transition wow. to this as well, is to be an attorney, an immigration's attorney. 
that was going to be my focus. I can so, totally see you doing that too, by the way. Maybe yeah, there's so, going to be another degree in your future. Who knows? Mark? You know, I think you I do see a degree, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that too. But anyways, uh, so that was my passion. And um, when I came back to my community from graduating from UCLA, I, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to go back to school right away, if I wanted to take some time off. So I took some time off. I worked at a preschool uh, first. Um, I've had different jobs along the way. I was a preschool teacher. I have a certification as a preschool teacher. So I thought maybe that's the way to go. But then I realized they couldn't pay my bills, unfortunately. I needed something more substantial, but I loved all that early childhood education that I got. Um, and then I, I got a job at a, a recovery program in Salinas uh, called Proyecto Unida, uh, Project Unity. And uh, I started working with young kids, teenagers, that were duly diagnosed. And I didn't know what duly diagnosed meant back there, but um, most of them had some mental health issue um, with substance. And I had never been around that area. All my friends at UCLA were psychology majors, and I probably should have uh, double majored in psychology all the classes that I went to. <laughs> but um, when, when I was at that job, I realized it wasn't a job, it was a passion. I, I really love being with those kids. They challenged me. Um, they challenged the therapist. And then I realized I could do their job. And I think that's when I started understanding, like, maybe this is what I can do. I was also, Elaine, at that time, uh, very involved with my church in Salinas, uh, Comunidad Cristiana de Salinas, which is a Spanish-speaking church. And um, I was, you know, I, I was surrounded by teenagers, you know, so many uh, opportunities and prospects that they can have that I, I thought, you know what, I can, I can do this. I can, I can be a social worker. And that's when I really learned what social work was. Well, and I think it's also, it's always important, I think for every culture, every, every group to have mentors, and then you could be a mentor to those kids. You know, it's like that saying, um, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. And to see someone here, oh, she's gone to, she went to UCLA. Maybe I can do that too. Because I think when you come from humble beginnings, sometimes you don't know that there's opportunities because yes. you may not have seen that possibility within your own family. Yeah. And, and then with those, those kids, you know, um, uh, I remember that my younger brother was also at some point not going the right way and he could have been one of these kids. And so that was also me giving back is because I, I felt uh, during that time, I really felt guilty that I wasn't there enough for him. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it can almost bring tears to your eyes when you think about that. But that, but then he, he did go the right way. He, he did. Took a village on that one. <laughs> it took all <laughs> of us to kind of just say, hey, get it together. And I remember him, you know, just saying, hey, I, I listened to your advice. I said, well, then start doing something different, you know, because yeah. it's, it's not good what you're, what you're up to. And so you could be a mentor to your younger siblings as well. So as you became, you know, I want to talk, I want to go, you know, and do a little segue too, because of the, the being Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. Oh, yes. You, I know you had talked to your dad today and you learned about your grandma. Um, and I certainly know about my grandma as well. And um, I think it's also important to know that colonialism, um, the Spaniards who came to um, Central America and South America, really impacted um, the vista of indigenous people. Um, and that still kind of lasts till today. Mm -hmm. But so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your, um, your grandma and what she, her, uh, what 
uh, tribe she was with and, you know, what her vista that I think is important for people to know about. Yes, yes. So my paternal grandmother, my mama Maria, um, she was from um, Tlaxcala, which is in, in the state of Jalisco, but her uh, people were Zapotecas and she spoke, uh, she spoke Zapoteco. Um, and she married my uh, grandfather, whose uh, background and, and heritage is from Spain. His his father, great grandfather, came from Spain, and he was a, a doctor. But uh, there was a lot of shame for her to acknowledge her indigenous roots, so she didn't talk about about it um, at all. Uh, my dad, you know, he's and and you know, so my my uncle talked about you know her upbringing and you know how she knew a, a dialect, but you know, I don't think she taught it to one of her kids. And um, uh, earlier you and I were talking and my, with my younger brother when went to Mexico and he's, you know, he's, you know, he's in school in California learning about the missions or learning about indigenous people. And he was excited to ask my grandmother, hey, you know, I, kn I know you're Indian, you know, uh, you know, and India is such a like, uh, it's, a, it's a racist, pretty much a really insulting word that she could have been, uh, anybody could have said to her. So she was not happy. She got hot and, you know, started telling me, like, who do you think you are? A weddle? And weddle's insulting, <laughs> you know, a person from the U.S. So um, that doesn't know, you know, their Mexican culture. Well, and I just want to say that I think that my um, family has a very similar history. So my mother's um, um, father um, was Spanish. Uh, her great, her maternal um, grandfather was also Spanish. And then my maternal grandmother, Magdalena, she was from Guatemala and she was Mayan. But if you would have asked my mom about her indigenous roots, she would have become very upset and said, no, no, I don't have any of those. Um, I'm Spanish. And I think that it was such a people who were um, looked at as being indigenous experienced such a severe kind of racism and disrespect. Um, in the colonial um, El Salvador. And I imagine that's the same thing with your grandma. And so, you know, and Martha and I were saying how we like embrace the fact that we have indigenous roots inside of us. Um, when I had my ancestry.com, I was so excited to see my 14%, right, from this particular area of Guatemala and, um, and Mexico, and a little bit from El Salvador. But that was a very, and also having lots of Spanish in my ancestry and my DNA as well. But I think that um, it's important for people to know that there was so much that it was, it was that our generations now that are more embracing, and you're 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 a little generation away from me as well. But I think that we look at it differently. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was. We wanted to know, and I, and I asked my dad as many questions as I can that he remembers. And she was also she she was a healer, Elaine. And I think you and I have talked about this, and I think that's part of like where my roots come as wanting to help people. And because uh, my dad is also a healer, he. Um, in Spanish, it's called a, a sobado, like a, yes. a masseuse, right? And uh, he's taught me some, you know, some things. I'm not as proficient as my dad, but I think that that's, you know, from that also having an honor her because she's she was a healer. And I think that that's part of like, when we think about, again, social work, it, it's just really about um, helping people in their trajectories and bringing healing. I always tell my students at Loma Linda, it's like, you know, if you're in social work, this has to be a calling for you. This is your your ministry, because uh, there's a lot of people that are hurting and that um, 
you know, it might not make you rich, it, but the wealth that you can impart and the healing it is just worth it. Well, and I think this is when we were talking about doing the show together. I think one of the things that was important to both of us is knowing about this rich, rich heritage that we both share and how it was so embedded also in our value system, but also some of the suffering that happens that if you grow up with a lot of shame, you know, the next generation can swallow that shame. And mm -hmm. so then when we say, oh, I embrace my entire heritage. Oh my gosh, how lovely that Magdalena was Mayan. It's a very different way of being with your cultural heritage than saying, oh no, um, I think she's Irish and she doesn't look at all, at all like she's Irish, right? That's what my mother would say. And I know that's not true because I don't have any Irish in my DNA, but I think that's how how the the horrible um, kind of sword of of racism and you know how the colonialists really did um, harm the indigenous populations back then. Yeah, and and, and I love that because it's like coming together with all your parts, right? All, and coming together being, with all your parts, exactly. You know, just embracing that. And I remember, I think it was last year that the Pope uh, formally uh, said an apology towards the indigenous people of, you know, saying, you know, what the, the Catholic Church did do a lot, you know, to also implement the colonialism. And I think that it, in UCLA is really when I question my um my my religion, not spirituality, but just the, that religion, and um, you know, really saying, "Hey, is this going to be my faith for the rest of my life, or do I? Is it something I believe in or not?" Um, but I still hold all the values that my parents, you know, uh, raised into me, and and so I, I hold on to that. And I, so I think that there's that lineage of those kind of values that have come from the foundational roots. And I also just want to acknowledge our, the Trauma Resource Institute, which, you know, that I'm the co-founder of, that we have worked with many indigenous communities within the United States. That It's just been such an honor to see the vibrancy, their communities, what they engage in. We um, have um, we have crim teachers that are part of the Diné, Blackfeet, um, the Pasquayaki tribes. Um, many, many different um, tribal nations, and I'm hoping that there will only be more, that yes. we can see that there's that integration that we have in the community resiliency model that is really organic, that has been embraced by many people of many cultures. But I know that I want kind of like segue, this is kind of a perfect segue into, Martha, you became a community resiliency model teacher and a trauma resiliency model teacher. What was about these two models that were that you felt for you as a as a Latina was very important. You know, Elaine, um, going back almost full circle is when we first started. When I first heard about the model, it was a uh, uh, trauma first aid. If you remember yes. that, yeah. I was trained in trauma first aid, and I remember um, you had come into uh, my organization because of. of uh, an assault that had happened with one of our, our our staff and it really shook us up right when we you deal with mental health and you hear deal with people that are you know maybe may unstable uh it's just like okay you know what could that happen to me um but i remember being in that training and i was like you know i it spoke to me it it, it, it spoke to me it made sense and a lot of the things that i was already doing you put a different perspective to it you you, you named it and I was like, hey, I was doing this, right? Uh, you know, I have resources. I didn't call them that, but, you know, they're resources. So I think in, as a uh, or, um, a young therapist, because I had just graduated a few years from um, my social work program, 
I felt like this is uh, something I can do. And I remember that we had our first training for uh, trainers. It was a trainer trainer program. Yes. I think the first one that you launched. And then later on, it was the trauma uh, resiliency model. Uh, it became uh, the model. And I was one of the facilitators. And I remember listening to you, Elaine, talking about going to the Philippines and going to China and all these different places. And as I was listening to you, and uh, you know, as a, another LCS, well, you, I don't know at that time if I knew you were Latina. Probably, I don't think so. But I was like, you know what? If Elaine goes to Latin America, I am there. I didn't and know. I didn't, don't, you you didn't know that. You didn't know this until today. I, I that was, you know, I'm a big believer on claim it and proclaim it. It is yours. <laughs> so when you invited me to Guatemala, I was like, thank you. You know, this one's oh. mine. But again, I uh, the other thing I really liked, Elaine, and, and maybe I'll get into the the community resiliency model, which uh, we helped pioneer again in San Bernardino yes, County, in San Bernardino County. Spanish. I was just elated that there was this model for many people, people who looked like me, that spoke the same language as me, because we know that a lot of the models are there. They're not translated into Spanish. There's very few, yes. but provided to the community, that was like, you're teaching the community these skills so they can have this well-being. And and that was just, that that really was part of like the, I, I love the mission and the vision of making it accessible to all. Well, you know, and I think that comes from my heritage again, right? To think about, well, you know, my mom, she had she was a very spunky person, but she definitely had challenges. And she wasn't necessarily one to um, get mental health counseling. But she, like you were saying about your Catholic heritage, she's very Catholic. And I've talked about this before on the show. And if the priest would have said to her, oh, Elsie, there is a, a, a wellness skills course after mass today. It will make you and your family stronger. Of course, just like your family. Oh, well, we'll go, I want to be stronger. Yes, we can make my family stronger. But if you'd have said, we think you've had a lot of trauma. <laughs> we think you need to, to have uh, some, some mental health counseling. She wouldn't, she, she, I think that would have been because of her construct. Um, it would have caused more shame to her. She already had a whole, you know, bucket load of shame that she carried on because I think of the heritage of colonialism and all the things we've talked about already. But so I think that when we talk about accessibility, how do we make things accessible? And of course, that was in my in my heart, um, having grown up in this communal culture that she and my grandmother brought to me and my sisters, my siblings. Um, and that was so important to embed in that, that community resiliency model and how it evolved. Because in the beginning, it was more like, oh, we're responding to disasters. But when it was community that was really piloted in San Bernardino County, we could see, and you know, your work, and you did that with Marina, um, mm -hmm. um, that you both brought in that perspective of your culture and being, and Spanish being your first language, which was not my first language, and that you could really imbue it with that spirit. Yeah, so that, that gave us, again, uh, great opportunities and, uh, opened up so many different doors as well to other uh, communities, right? As, as you were talking about, you know, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to go to uh, train the a Blackfeet Nation and the Pascoyaki tribe uh, members and also other peoples here in California, um, which is, again, I think that's one of the reasons why I really 
uh, love this model. Now I'm a teacher, right? I, I teach this model to my social work students because I, I, I truly believe had I learned this when I was uh, in my graduate program, probably when you were in your graduate program, Elaine, we could have avoided a lot of vicarious trauma that comes about listening to the stories that people have, you know, the injures, injuries that they've suffered, um, you know, by others or, you know, for whatever reason, and then and, and bring some source of healing to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, you know, as I can see, the time has quickly flown away here with us. It seems like we just got started. Right. Is that I, I want people to know that from, you know, my pers- perspective and my family um, that has so much value and taught me compassion and how to be inclusive to others. And I'm just wondering if in a couple minutes, if you can share what your parting thoughts are to our audience. I think that um, one of the things that comes to mind is that we are always so quick to judge the other, right? Yes. We're, we're so quick to judge uh, and, um, and know that, you know, there's a lot of times there's a story behind why people did what they did or, or the circumstances that they're in. And I think I've learned that throughout my journey as well, working with the, you know, children from preschool age to uh, teenagers and uh, young adults to working with adults, that there's always a reason why that happens, right? And that's part of what the the, the model also with with Trim. Krim and Trim is that, you know, know that even though they have a story, they're, they're resilient. And there's a reason why they do what they do, because ultimately we want to be in that in our we always want to show up as our best self. So I hope that I always remember that, you know, I should try to show up as my best self. So sometimes even as a manager, you know, I try to remember, okay, you know what? I was short with someone. So go back and tell them, hey, you know what? I didn't mean to be abrupt. Can I help you? And that's made a difference sometimes. So know that everybody, there's a reason why we showed up the way that we did. And um, that, you know, I think that if we can be nicer to each other at times and be more compassionate, that could show a lot. It can be different experience. Well, and, I, and I think that as we have seen our family showed up for us and how we show up now for others and that we both have this rich heritage that is in our blood, literally in our blood. And um, I think what we do with the community resiliency model too, is we shine a light on what I often say at the end of this show is what else is true. Yes, there may be suffering. Yes, there can be racism. Yes, you may be treated like the other, but you are so much inside of you. And we're just going to shine a light on those strengths that you have. You know, the strength you had to come to a new country, the strength you had to learn a new language as a little girl, Martha, the strength your parents had to, okay, we're going to get into that amnesty program and it's not going to just be our anchor baby. It's going to be all of us, right? And that family has made such a contribution and that way back then in the beginnings for both of us, there were indigenous peoples that embraced our families in the foundation of who we are right now. So with that today, I sign off for Resiliency Within. And if you'd like to reach Martha, please send me an email at elaine at resiliencywithin.com and I'll do an introduction for you to be able to talk to Martha. Uh, So Martha, my dear friend, thank you so much for being my companion in many of our adventures um, and I think healings that have happened, just like your grandma, you're a healer too, as your grandfather was in Mexico, in Guatemala, in Texas, and here in California. 
And may God bless you always. This is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off for Resiliency Within with a deep bow to my guest, Martha Parra. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karis is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.